Father, we praise you that you are the great and holy God. You sit upon the throne of heaven and earth. Lord, you accomplish all of your good purposes according to your sovereign will, and we praise you for it. And Lord, we thank you that inside of your great purposes, you've chosen to cause the prayers of your people to be a primary way in which you work. You delight to answer our prayers. And so we praise you, Father, for specifically answering that prayer for favor with our missionary partners. Lord, we ask that that would only be something that continues to grow and grow in the days ahead. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are at work in the affairs and the kingdoms of men. And Lord, we take great heart from that as we're on the verge of another one of our national elections. God, we pray that our hearts would be fixed on Jesus, our great King. Lord, we ask that there would be results to those elections, whether it's communities like ours or in the national spotlight, results that would glorify you, that would bless your people, that would secure liberties and freedoms for the men, women, and children in this nation. And Lord, I pray above it all that no matter what, we would live with great hope and confidence because Jesus is Lord and he's coming again. So God, we look forward to seeing a glimpse of that in our study today. Be our teacher as we study your word and we ask it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you. All may be seated. And as you all are opening your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, I want to begin our study with a little test of your observational skills. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have a picture put on the screen, and I just want to see if you can tell what it is. Take a look at this picture on the screen. Can you tell what, it, what, it, what is that? What is that? Well, it's, it's, it's writing. Can you see that? It's writing. Can you see that it's in English from your seat? It's in English. Can you also see that it's not very clear? <laughs> Well, listen, um, I got a little bit of a jump on you this week. I was able to spend a significant part of my study for this Sunday morning looking at that picture, studying it. And I can give you my expert opinion on what I believe the title and the first sentence of that picture says. You ready? Look at it and see as I describe this for you if it starts to become a little bit more clear. Here's my expert opinion. Imp goo. Imperial caste. Codex, that's the title, circa 178 to 154 BC. The Chinese used between double in the time of a specific, which is trillions tortillas. You see it there? I think that's pretty clear as I've given you my expert opinion. Now, nobody can know for sure, but that's my very best scholarly study. Does that help you know what this picture is all about? Now, what if I actually told you that that's a picture of a bush? Really? <laughs> it's just me and Sarah again, like old times, in the gym. What if I told you that it actually would help you if we zoomed out instead of zooming in? Let's give that a try. Let's zoom out on this picture instead of zooming in. Now, hey, what's that? It's an elephant. Do you see the bush there in the foreground? 
what if I told you that that bush was made up of little pictures and our first picture we studied was actually a part of that bush, which it actually is. That's a a mosaic picture. You see the big one clearly. And, And I just want to ask you, which one was clearer, the elephant or the writing in the first picture? The elephant, right? So what's my point? That's a good. My point is this. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study of the book of Daniel. And from this point on, this book is all about prophecy. And there are a couple of ways for us to study the prophecies in Daniel. One way is for us to try and focus in on every little detail. Like, who's the Antichrist going to be? Obviously, it's Putin. And where are the headquarters of the one world government going to be? The challenge, guys, with that kind of study that focuses and presses on all of the details is there are lots of details that just aren't quite clear, even to experts like me. As a result, we can spend a lot of time trying to figure out things that only God knows, like who the Antichrist will be. Even more, when you strain really hard to see things that aren't clear, you actually have a much better chance at missing the bigger picture. And church, we don't want to miss the bigger picture. There's a reason why God made the big picture clear while the details sometimes are fuzzy. So even though we are going to work through lots of details, there's no other way. Like that mosaic picture... This big picture is filled with lots of little details, some of which are clear, some remain a mystery. So we have to look at the details, but we do not want to miss the elephant in the room. We want to see the big picture. And so before we end this study of Daniel chapter 7, we're going to come back and look at the things that God has made crystal clear. With that in mind, let's look at Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. So Daniel wrote his sermons just like me while he was in bed. And this dream happens right at the beginning of Belshazzar's reign. Here's what that means. It was sometime before chapter 5, if you remember our study of that chapter. So here's what Daniel is doing. He's letting us know that he's done sort of giving the story of his life in those first six chapters. And now he's going to go back in time. He's going to compile the prophecies that God has given him through his lifetime and give them to us in one big section to end the book. So thence begins the prophecies of Daniel. Verse 2, Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night. And behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked at its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth, kind of like my son when we go to Sonny's. It was there between its teeth and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast 
terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Okay, now you know why I started with a picture that wasn't quite clear? Here's the first part of this crazy dream that Daniel has. Four wild beasts emerge from out of the sea. Verse 17, later on in the chapter, tells us that these represent kings and their kingdoms. And remember back in chapter 2, God gave another dream to another man named Nebuchadnezzar. And that dream also included four kingdoms. And for lots of reasons we can't go into this morning, most Bible scholars believe that the four kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 correspond with the four kingdoms that Daniel has in this dream. Let's keep that in mind. That means that if that's the way that this dream is laid out, and I believe that it is, the first kingdom, the one that has lions, or is a lion that has eagle's wings, is the kingdom of The second kingdom, the bear that's jacked up there on one side, which I don't even know how to picture that one, that one's Medo-Persia, the kingdom with The the leopard that had four wings is Greece. And the text says that the leopard had four heads. That's really interesting because after the time of Alexander the Great, who was the great ruler of Greece, the Greek empire was actually divided into four parts after Alexander's death. Each one had its own ruler, a a little prophecy fulfilled there within this own text. But then you get to the fourth kingdom, right? As you're reading those verses, you find that kingdom would correspond with Rome. And it's immediately clear, though, by the way that that's written, that this kingdom is being emphasized in the dream in a way that makes it stand out from all the others. For instance, there's no comparison to any known animal. It's just a monster. Verse 7 says it's terrifying and it's dreadful and it's exceedingly strong and it destroys everything in its way. And then even more it's set apart because the focus shifts to its horns. Later on in the chapter, we're going to find out these horns represent kings. It says it has 10 of them. 10 kings come together to make this kingdom. So like a confederation of nations, this empire, this kingdom's made up of many nations that come together. But then a small horn appears and it uproots three of those other horns. And that's when a weird dream gets really bizarre. The small horn has eyes, like a man, and and a mouth, like a man. And it starts saying all kinds of great, boastful things. It just starts talking right there in the middle of the dream. And Daniel can't stop But look at this crazy little horn that has uprooted. A violent takeover has taken place. And now it's saying all kinds of crazy things. So here are four kingdoms. They correspond with four great empires in the history of the world. And the emphasis is on the last kingdom. It's mantras in a unique way. A way that's going to set it apart from all the other kingdoms of the history of the world included here. Okay, keep that in mind and let's keep reading. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like 
pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream, a river of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Okay, stop there. It's almost like you see in Daniel's dream that it's happening on these TV screens that are there in front of him. Because he says, now I saw, or then I looked. So it's like you're seeing visions that are separate from one another that are a composite of this one big dream. And he he says, and then I looked and I saw a new scene. And this is a different scene. There are thrones here, not beasts. And in the middle of those thrones... The Ancient of Days comes and takes his seat. Now, this is none other than God himself. His clothing and his hair are white. That suggests purity. His throne is in the midst of fire, which is a reference to how his holiness burns with righteousness. And it flows out like a river. It consumes anything that's unholy or impure. And the point is really clear. As the angels and saints, this multitude gathers around, God has come to bring judgment. Okay? So let's keep going and compile these truths together. Look what happens next. Verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts... Their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Okay, stop right there. You find God brings judgment to this fourth beast, right? It seems like verse 12 is saying that when the first three kingdoms came to an end, they lost their power as kingdoms, but the people of those kingdoms continued to live on. And that makes a lot of historical sense because that's exactly what happened when one empire would overtake Another, we've already witnessed that here in the book of Daniel. Belshazzar and Babylon fall, but the people of those kingdoms continue to live on. They're just under another government. Another dominion or power is given. But that implies something then about the last or the fourth kingdom. It implies that it's the last kingdom on earth to ever fall. Once it's defeated, that's the end of the world as we know it. So that means this dream then is not just about things that were in Daniel's future. It means this is a dream about things that are in our future. Keep reading and you'll see this because it's clear. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, so the scene kind of changes again. And this time, it's not just the focus of judgment of God flowing out over these wicked kingdoms. The focus is one like the son of man who comes in the clouds. You want me to just cut to the chase here? This guy has a name, and his name is Jesus. This is talking about Jesus Christ himself. Jesus comes to the world, and it says all of these nations and all of the nations 
bow before him and he has an established kingdom that never fades away. This is a clear reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, listen to the way that Jesus himself describes his second coming after he had already come at Christmas. Here we have in the Gospels, and he's already come the first time at Christmas, and he's describing how he'll come again. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 says this. See if these words sound familiar compared to Daniel 7. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Does that sound familiar? It's almost exactly what you read in Daniel chapter 7. He's describing his coming in almost the exact same way as Daniel did 600 years before Christ was born. So Daniel then is describing here in our chapter the things that will occur Before Jesus comes again, we're taking a look again, not just at his future. We're taking a look at our future. We're taking a look at the future of the entire world. And the question then that starts to come into our minds, much like that picture we saw at the beginning, what does it mean? What does it mean? What are we being told? Well, that's what the rest of the chapter is about. This is, this is the halfway point of Daniel's dream. And what you find is in the next half The interpretation, here's what it means, is what's given to Daniel. And we can all be glad that the Bible interprets this dream because we'd all be lost if it didn't, right? But before we go on, I just want to recap that first half because we're going to reflect over these, these truths that we've seen or these prophecies, okay? Here's what Daniel has seen so far. Number one, four kings and kingdoms will arise and they'll fall. And the fourth kingdom will be different from any other. It will eventually have a ruler over all the other rulers who speaks and acts in a way that sets him apart on the world scene. Then the judgment of God is going to come. And all of the kingdoms, including that final monstrous kingdom, will come to an end. And at the end, finally, when everything's said and done, Jesus Christ himself will come And he will establish a glorious kingdom on this earth that will never end. All right? That's what we've seen so far. Now let's keep reading verse 15. Let's see what all of this means. Verse 15 says this. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was within me and was anxious. And the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there. I take him to be talking about one of the angels around the throne there at the judgment scene of God. I stood there and asked the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Here's the interpretation. These four great beasts are four four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints... Of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. All right, so this is still part of Daniel's dream. It just includes an interpretation. He's anxious, he's alarmed, he's like, I have no idea what any of this means. So he approaches this this angel to ask. And I've got to tell you, it makes me feel really good that one of the wisest, most godly men to ever lived was totally clueless about end times prophecy when he heard it. I'm just saying, it made me feel a lot better. He asks an angel, hey, will you explain this to me? And I, I, I hear the angel say what he says, and you, you, you really get 
the summary of the matter. What does the angel say is the dream? Well, here's the point the angel says. Verse 18, he says, evil kingdoms will come into power, but when it's all said and done, the people of God will receive Christ's kingdom forever. Guys, you notice something about that summary? It doesn't simply say that Jesus will establish a kingdom. And it doesn't just say that all the nations will serve him. It says that Jesus will share his kingdom with all of his people. Are you one of Christ's people? Then this is for you. When all is said and done, Jesus is going to share his kingdom with you. And you might think that's where the chapter would end because the angel, the preacher, just said, this is the big idea. But if you've been around preachers who tell their big ideas, you know that's no guarantee they're done preaching, right? And that's exactly what happens next. I love what happens next because Daniel is like every other student of Bible prophecy. He just wants to know who the Antichrist is. Literally. Look what he says. It's cracked me up when I read it this week. Verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. Verse 21, notice how he says this. It's like this vision is continuing right before his eyes. As I looked, this horn, this king, this ruler above all the other rulers made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So the, Daniel starts asking the question more, or the angel more and more questions. Hey, tell me about this last kingdom. Tell me more about these end times thing. Hey, tell me who the Antichrist will be. Where's his headquarters going to be? He's asking all of these questions because it's clear that this kingdom is different than any other kingdom. And this small horn that's on the head of this final kingdom is commanding Daniel's attention. He's saying, what's the deal with this? And then in verse 21, as the scene continues to unfold, Daniel's looking on and he realizes something. That horn has made war against God's people, described here as the saints. And he doesn't just make war. Did you notice what it said there? It said, and he prevailed over them. You know what that means? It means it looks like he's winning. Saints are dying. They are dying in this war. They're wounded in this war. They're injured by this war. They're battered in the war. They're weary. It looks like the enemy's winning. Verse 22 says, this is what will happen all the way until... God comes and pours out justice, judgment and brings this beast to a final end and gives Christ's kingdom to his people forever and ever. That means this kingdom isn't just about ancient Rome because ancient Rome has long since faded and left the scene, but Jesus hasn't returned yet. This is referring to another kingdom an earthly kingdom that appears before the return of Jesus. 
And as you bring this together, you find nations coming together, a confederation of world leaders or such who come together and resurrect something here that's associated or resembles the Roman Empire. Growing up, I remember people talking about the European Union or the United Nations or NATO. And I've got to tell you, I have no idea how those play into this prophecy. All I know is that sometime before Jesus comes again, this will occur. And one world leader will rise above them all. One spirit, one voice will become dominant over this world. That small horn there from Daniel's dream. Now let's keep reading verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, so now we see another way this fourth kingdom is different. It devours the whole earth. It subdues the entire world. All of the world falls under the spell, if you will, of this leader. The spirit of this boastful, arrogant, blasphemous leader begins to trap the entire world under his power. Notice what he'll do. Verse 25 tells us three things. He will speak a word against God. He will blaspheme the Most High God. We'll talk more about that later in the book of Daniel. It says he will wear out the saints. That's another reference to the persecution Daniel saw. And that word wear out is a reference to a garment becoming threadbare. It means he's going to oppose Christians... To the point that their lives will be threadbare. They'll barely be hanging on for life. Religious freedom will be abolished. His government will put pressure and persecution on followers of Jesus Christ to make their lives miserable and to snuff them out when it's under his power. And then the last thing it says, he will think to change the times and the law. Now that word times is likely a reference to religious festivals or holidays. The the law there could also be a reference to religious or moral codes, the religious laws or the moral codes. Now let me just ask you, can you imagine a time in this world when the moral codes of the world begin to dramatically change? Like, Like just say, for instance... It would mean that things that have been considered morally wrong since the beginning of the world would now be celebrated as though they're morally virtuous. Can you imagine that? Slightly. That's what this world leader and the spirit of this age being described is going to be like before Jesus comes again. He will have power, it says, for time, times, and half a time. That feels like the answer I give my kids when they say, Dad, when are we going to get there? I'll tell you when. Time, times, and half a time. Figure it out. We'll get there when we arrive. That's often interpreted as three and a half years. A time is one, times are two, a half 
is a half, okay? You add that up together, you get three and a half, okay? So here's why I bring that, that to, 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 to bear. I want us to read Revelation chapter 13, because here's the final book of the Bible, laying out the end times prophecy through the prophet John and a vision that was given to him. And I want us to see what we find. It's nearly an identical parallel to what we've read in the book of Daniel chapter 7. Revelation 13 verse 5 says this, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for, notice this, 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them or prevail. And authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. You see the parallels there? Clearly, this is talking about the same person. Almost all of the descriptors are the same as Daniel 7. He has authority for 42 months. Anyone want to do the quick math on how many years that is? Three and a half. He blasphemes God. He establishes a kingdom that covers the entire world. All the nations will bow before him, even to the point that all who are not followers of Jesus Christ will actually worship him, hold him in regard as though he is God. It says he makes war against God's people. He conquers them. He prevails. It looks like he's winning. Some refer to this person as the Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 calls him the man of lawlessness. Now we're going to talk more about him in our study throughout the next few chapters, but what I really want us to see is what this vision is making clear. Look at verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed. Now look at this last phrase, to the end. Here's what's clear. The Antichrist will come. The world is heading toward persecution and lawlessness. The enemy of God will seem to be getting the upper hand, but listen to the word of God. God's court will sit in judgment. God will bring judgment. And every godless power, every evil authority will fully and finally be destroyed. I like the way verse 26 says that, destroyed to the end. You know what that means? It will be over. Do you know how long it will be over? Forever. It will end. But you know what? Something more than judgment is coming. Let's read the last two verses of this chapter, and then we'll look at the big point we see. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, Christ's kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. It's a great phrase, right? Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. 
So if you're a little confused, you're not alone. That's how Daniel ended the chapter. And my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Do you see what he says there? The kingdom that belongs to Jesus is going to be shared with God's people. And you see this contrast. The evil rule of wicked men, the kingdoms of this earth that oppose God and his people, they will come to an end. That's very clearly said there. That phrase is said there. But the kingdom that Jesus will share with you, with his people, will never come to an end. It will last forever and ever. And Daniel says, and I love this, that's that last phrase, That's the end of the matter. That's everything you need to know about end times prophecy. And I didn't even have to give you a chart or a graph or a timeline. That's next week. Here's the story. I want us to take just a moment and I want us to meditate in these few minutes that we have, having come through, come through all of those details and kind of looking at some and not digging in too far on others. What is it that's really clear about this vision? It's telling us something. Guys, we're being told right here through the word of God, something that will clearly occur before the end of the world. As a matter of fact, you can look at this as the direction our world is heading. Here is what waits for us in the future until Jesus comes again. And we're being told this so we won't be unprepared, so that we won't be caught off guard, so that we will have our, our hearts readied for what we're going to live through. The, the first thing we see is that evil, godless kingdoms are going to emerge on the world's scene until there becomes one big, great kingdom that's led by one truly evil man. The kingdoms of this world won't be getting better and better and better as time goes by. The kingdoms of this world will only grow worse and worse and darker and darker And it will result in a declared war against God's people. So the first thing that's clear is this. Tribulation is coming. Tribulation is coming, church. Because that is the direction that our world is heading. Trials and tribulation are coming. As a matter of fact, they are already here. Any any idea that we have as followers of Jesus Christ that just because we are God's people means that our life will be smooth sailing and trouble free. That idea is not from God. You need to know this. The prosperity gospel is a lie from hell, not a message from God. Trials and tribulation are coming to this earth and are already among us. And the nearer we get to the end, the more widespread and intense the trials will become. And church, it is so important for us to understand this. If we don't know that God has already told us this ahead of time, when trials and tribulation come to your life and your home and your marriage and your children and your body and your heart and your soul, there's a very good chance that if you haven't heard the word of God saying tribulations will come, you will start to panic. Like what is going wrong? God warns us in advance so that he can strengthen our resolve. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, 
as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Church, if you're going to follow Jesus, you will endure trials. You will endure persecution. You will endure suffering that comes from a world that is going to put increasing pressure on you, your home, your family, your life to turn your back on God and adopt the godless ideologies and system of this world. You will have to live through that. Don't be surprised. God has clearly warned us. I got an email this week from one of our snowbirds. He let me know that his Baptist church up north is going to be voting in just two weeks on whether or not they are going to change their stance on homosexuality. Like countless congregations in our nation, they're facing increasing pressure to adopt a popular view, the the view of our world, on human sexuality. And I pray that we will pray for our brother up north and our brothers and sisters up north to stand firm on the teaching of God's word. And if they stand firm, here's what they know. It's going to cost them something. Here's the reality. If that has come to a vote inside that church, people will leave that church. People will lose friends. Families will be divided. They are walking through a pressure-filled trial of their faith. Pray they stand firm and church Pray we stand firm as well. Guys, as we are navigating the days that are to come, I have no doubt that the pressure from our culture is only only going to increase. And church, I pray that we will know that in advance so we can make up our minds in advance. Church, I pray that if it costs us our jobs, If it costs us favor in our community, if it costs us these buildings and this property, if it costs us our very lives, may we never compromise the truth of God's word. May we live as though we only have one king and his name is Jesus and Jesus alone. Tribulation is coming. It's coming to us as a church. It's coming to us as a nation. And it's coming to you and your family. Today, many of you are already walking through a trial of your faith. A pressure is on your shoulders, tempting you to turn your back on God. Tribulation is coming. Are you ready? But tribulation won't last long, and that's the point, and that's the word for those of you who are walking through it. Evil rulers are not going to win in the end. Our text makes that clear. God is going to set up his court. That means judgment is coming. Tribulation is coming. Judgment is coming. One day, we are all going to stand in the court of God's judgment. And listen, friend, I know that this is not a popular sermon. As a matter of fact, when you want to bash a modern day preacher, you call him a hellfire damnation preacher, right? That's not a compliment in our culture. My question is, what do you preach when you get to the passages of the scripture that are about hellfire and damnation? (laughs) Because that's what we just read. The fire of God's wrath is coming 
and will be poured out like a river on all sin. And that is not good news for a room full of sinners like us. But there is good news. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved from the judgment of God. You see, God sent his son Jesus to live and die in our place. At the cross of Christ, Jesus hung on the cross and God placed our sin on him and he poured out judgment then. He poured out the judgment of our sins so that Christ would be punished in order for us to be forgiven and saved from the wrath to come. If you will trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll be spared in the day of judgment. And friend, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, today is your day. There is a day that's coming when you will stand before Almighty God and you will stand alone before Almighty God. And there is only one way for you to escape His wrath on that day. And it is the work of Jesus and Jesus alone. Judgment is coming, friend. Are you ready? Trust in Christ. And brothers, by, by God's grace, judgment isn't the end of this story. And it's not the end of my sermon. It's glory that's the end of this story. The kingdom of God is going to be established in a new heavens and a new earth. God's people, us, as followers of Christ, are going to enjoy that forever and ever. That kingdom will come and that kingdom will have a king. And his name is Jesus. He's coming again. That's the last thing we see. Not only is tribulation coming and judgment is coming. Listen, church, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming again. This world will grow dark. And it's growing darker and darker every day. And though it is dark, dawn is on the horizon because Jesus is coming again. This world is fading away, but you don't have to fear the future. You know why? Because Jesus is coming again. I don't know if you know it, but there's an election coming on Tuesday. And I know a lot of people are putting a lot of hope on how Tuesday goes. You want me to become a modern day prophet? Here I go. Half our country's going to celebrate and half our country's going to mourn. And our whole country will somehow be angry in the process. Can I let you in on a little secret? Here's what you need to know. While we pray, while we vote, while we ask God to do what only he can, here's a little secret. No matter what happens on Tuesday... You can live with hope on Wednesday because Jesus is coming again. He is coming again and it could be this day. And if you are in Christ, no matter what you're facing, your future is glorious because Jesus is going to share his perfect kingdom with you. And some of you who are walking through a trial or tribulation need to take a great big breath of faith and breathe in this truth. The day is coming when Christ will return and all of your sadness will be over. All of your sorrow will be gone. All of your pain will be no more. And you will enter endless joy and pleasure forevermore. The enemy of God and of your own soul the one who torments your heart and mind 
the one who stirs you to anxiety and fear will be gone forever and there will be no trace of him for eternity and you will be with Christ and he will be your God and you will be his people and he will have wiped away every tear from your eyes and the only thing that will last forever is the joy and gladness and pleasure that comes from the presence of our great king whose name is Jesus. Jesus is coming again. Church, are you ready? When you put all of that together, that's our big idea. And unlike the angel, I'll actually be done with the big idea for today. Before all is said and done, tribulation is coming and judgment is coming and praise God almighty Jesus is coming. So don't ignore the elephant in the room. Are you ready? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this great passage of scripture filled with mysteries, filled with all types of little pictures, some of which are just not clear and some of which are, and we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would let us be the kind of people who take a step back and see that great big picture and hear your word to us today. Father, I pray that we would know that tribulation is coming, that we wouldn't be caught off guard. And those of us who are walking through trials of our faith would take a breath knowing this was always going to be the case because you warned us in advance we would. Pray for every heart that is unsteady today to be reinforced by this truth and know that, Father, you told us all along that hard times, tribulation and trial and persecution would come. And that does not mean you don't love us or are not at work. Steady our hearts in trial. Lord, I pray that we would remember that judgment is coming. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who's not born again, who's not ready to stand before you, that they would not leave this place today without making certain that their faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone so that heaven would be their home as Jesus is their king. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that Christ is coming again, that our hope is steadfast and sure, and we await for a savior who is coming. Help our eyes to be fixed on the horizon and let us go ahead and rejoice that all will be well as Jesus comes again. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.